All right, and good morning, Ridgepoint Church. We have kind of, a, it's, it's a big week for us. We have a lot of stuff that's kind of taken place. We just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago with having Camp RPC here for our children's ministry. We had a great time with that. I had a lot of kids who were here. And then this coming week, Josh and the youth group are leaving tomorrow morning uh, to head out for student life at the beach. I'm uh, really excited. David Platt is speaking, Digital Ages leading worship. Man, we're excited for the students as they head out. If you would remember this week, throughout the week, pray for them as they travel, as they get there. They have a good time. That God speaks, communicates with them clearly. Uh, so pray for our students this week as they head out for camp. And I mentioned this last week, but we're a couple of weeks still away from this. But uh, it seems like summer is going by really, really fast. Like officially, we're kind of like halfway through summer break for students right now. Uh, and so school is like already right around the corner. Uh, I walked in Walmart, and, and it was like school hadn't even like really finished yet. They're already putting out all the back-to-school items. Like it was like we have to get ready for the summer. It's going to be a really quick summer. Uh, so even though we're kind of in the middle of summer, we're starting to, as a church, talk about what happens at the beginning of this school year. Uh, if you've been a part of Richmond Church for a while, you know that one of the main things we try to do is get as many people as possible connected to church, but then also connected to our family groups. And so we're a couple of months away from really launching out on the family group initiative, but we're starting to get some people who are interested in being a part of leading family groups, of hosting family groups. We're going to have a meeting. This year, we're really looking to capitalize on this. We have a lot of new families we want to see plugged in. So we want to be able to launch out some new family groups this coming semester. So if you want to be part of that, kind of launching out hosting family groups, we're going to have a meeting on Tuesday night, August 9th. Uh, this, by showing up, you're not saying, I'm going to lead a family group host. You're saying, hey, I want to find out more information. We're going to talk about the, the curriculum we're doing uh, to start off this fall called Wonder Life. We're going to share some, uh, some of the goals we have for this year. So just an informational meeting. If you want to come find out more about family groups, what it means to host a family group, what that looks like, uh, feel free to join us for that night. If not, that's fine. In a couple weeks, we're going to start talking about how you can actually join in on one of the family groups that's been established. Uh, so it's not for everybody to lead. That's cool. Uh, but if you want to find out more information, Tuesday night, August 9th, we have that taking place. Listen, last week we uh, kind of got together as a church. It was 4th of July weekend. We celebrated that, kind of this rush of patriotism. We launched a new series here at church that we call uh, Origins. And we began by talking about Noah. I was really excited about that, that message. And then today the schedule called for us to go and talk about Abraham. And the message has been developed. I was really, really excited about this information about how God never gives up on us. And then the events of this week took place. And as those events started to take place, as we started to watch these things, uh, really I'm going to share a little bit of the story in just a second, but I decided kind of through praying through all of this to put that message to, to rest for right now. So let's have just an open uh, conversation about what are we dealing with right now in our country and how do we as followers of Jesus deal with that? What's an appropriate response for us? Because maybe you, like me, I uh, really sat with, with horror earlier in the week as you watched some videos of some young men, some young black men uh, getting killed by police officers, justified or not. Listen, one of the things we're not going to do in the service this morning is share opinions on things we don't know anything about. We want to talk about a biblical response to what are we supposed to do. So justified or not, if you watched the video, it was a hard video. Both of those were hard videos to watch. And then we watched in horror. For me, Thursday night, maybe you woke up Friday morning. I first saw kind of through social media that something was happening in Dallas and I turned on the news and I started to watch these events and by the time we woke up Friday morning we found out 12 police officers had been shot and that five had already died. I watched all that with horror and then uh, there was an initial response then we started to see the response was taking place through media and through social media and and I think for a lot of us a couple of things took place. Uh, Number one, our initial emotion 
was, was changed a little bit. As people started to take up sides, it became this polarizing topic for our country. And pretty soon, here's what I saw on both sides, was that people said, okay, I know what I'm supposed to say because this is what I've always kind of thought. And so let me come up with the regular lines of what I've always thought. And then let me find facts and information that seem to show that my side is correct. And let me get up on social media and regurgitate all of the presuppositions that I have in, in my thought process. And I saw that over and over. And if you were like me, here's what I found myself doing. I was getting frustrated with both sides of this. Like I was seeing this polarizing topic that was happening in our country, and I was getting frustrated with both sides of it. And then I started to realize that if I really got honest with myself, that part of my anger, part of my frustration was with myself because I knew that what I normally the side that I normally side with that that I had some of those presuppositions in my own heart and I said I'm just going to back away from social media because I saw everybody kind of get on social media not everybody but a lot of people and I had friends on both sides of this debate and there were a lot of them that were getting up and they're on one side and they're on the other side and and each one of them was just kind of regurgitating all of this information and, and I said here's the thing in the book of James chapter one it says this about us that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And yet what I found was that we are doing the opposite. We are doing a very poor job of listening to each other, but we were very quick to speak. And by and large, we were very quick to get angry. And so here's what I'm going to do, and I'm not going to say that that what we're going to do this morning is going to be easy. I don't think it, it is, and I don't think it's supposed to be. But here's what I'm going to do to start. I'm going to direct you in two different prayers this morning, one at the beginning of the message and one at the end of the message. And the first one, here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm going to give us 30 seconds a minute. And here's what I want, because I know as I started to deal with this, I knew that, man, in my heart, there were presuppositions that I had. And that if I want to respond as Jesus would respond, as I want to follow him, if I want to respond as he was going to respond, then I had to clear my heart of all of those preconceived ideas of what I thought was accurate. And so just at the beginning of the message this morning, I want to do this. I want to give you a chance. Uh, we're going to pray in just a second. For the first 30 seconds, first minute of that, of that prayer time, I just want you to, to, to talk to God and say, God, where is my heart at on this topic? And if there's anything that's there that's, that's not put there by you, if there's any of my pride that gets in the way of any ideas that other people have planted in my heart, let me remove those things that I can hear clearly what you have for me. So go ahead and you pray a prayer similar to that. And after 30 seconds or a minute, I'm going to pray to close out this time of prayer. Let's pray. God, we know that right now our country is fragmented. It's hurting. There are a lot of people that feel just lost and alone and disenfranchised and on both sides of, of this whole issue that's raging. God, I pray that in this moment now that you would clear our hearts of, of anything that's not put there by your spirit. That, God, we would want to come up with an appropriate biblical response to say, how are we supposed to respond 
to the hurt that's in our country right now. And then God, give us both the passion and the ability to do so. We love you. We thank you for the grace that you show in our life. And we pray that now we're able to respond in a very graceful way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that we don't often do as a church is we don't often have a social commentary on things that are taking place. And it's not just the social commentary. We're going to look back at a lot of scripture this morning and say what is the biblical response. But one of the reasons why we don't comment a lot on, on, on political topics and, and different things like that is because a lot of times what we found is that when we respond, when anybody responds, but especially when we're trying to follow Jesus, but we respond in such a way that we react instead of responding, that our reaction can sometimes be guided by things that are not of the Spirit of God. And so we try to respond, not react. We try to listen and not speak. And we try to think and not assume. And so it's why we don't often have a commentary on political stuff that's happening and, and we don't get into a lot of that stuff because we believe as a church our goal should be simply to point people to Jesus and that he's going to sort out all that other stuff. But as I sat back, especially on Friday morning, I had a chance, I was traveling over, most of you know my mom's been kind of in, in poor health and I was traveling over to St. Pete to visit my family and, and I was listening to the news reports and everyone's just getting like the latest updates from Dallas and I found myself, just that's all I want to listen to is what was happening and what was taking place and the whole way over, like God was just kind of piercing my heart saying we have to do something about this. And really at that point on Friday morning, my plan was to, to come up at some point during, during the worship time of this morning's service. And I was like, man, let's just pray for our country and, and, and pray that God sorts all of this out. Uh, but then on Friday afternoon, as I got more information, I was driving back. And, and my wife's family had some other stuff that was happening that was taking place. It was kind of emotional for them. And right in the midst of that, I text my wife as I get ready to leave. And, and she's kind of giving me an update on where things were at with that. And, and, I, and I said, man, between that and what's going on in our country, and, and she responded, I said, I know, I just want to go home and, and just cry for what's taking place. I said, man, maybe just a, a three-minute interlude in the service isn't enough for this topic. And so I said, let's really start to address this. And here's our plan this morning is to come up with, here's, here's three things we've got to kind of deal with, three things that are out there, fact, biblically-based things we have to deal with. And then I want to give us at the very end three action steps that you can take, that you and I can take this week to say, how can we begin to be part of the healing process in our lives? So three things. If you have your Bibles, I figured if, if we're going to turn to listen to the words of anybody in the midst of a really devastating time in our country, uh, we need to turn back to the words of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look back at probably the most famous sermon ever preached. And as we look at the sermon, as a church, we looked at the sermon last year. Uh, with the Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to look at that a little bit more this morning. And three things I really want to dive down deep into to say, if, if we're going to look uh, for this with an open heart, asking Jesus, what do you have uh, for us? That we have to have an answer to the current racial climate that we have in our country. So number one, we have to realize that each one of us has a position and that our position might not be 100% accurate. I want you to go back because we've had a lot of emotion throughout this week. But in particular, if you got a chance to see the first two videos, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. Before everyone else threw up all their ideas and when you just saw those videos, what was your initial response? And then ask a second question, how did that response change once we started to see the furor that started to hit our country? Because I found myself, my response was changing based upon the reaction of our country. 
So which one of those feelings, or was either one of them really, really accurate? And I want to be fair in this. I, want, I don't want to come with opinions and, and, and deal with that type of thing, but I want to be fair and talk about, let's address both sides for a second. Because like I said, I had some good friends who came out on one side, and I had good friends who came out on the other side, and they were really passionate about it. And for those who came out and said, wait a minute, you have to look at all the facts, and it was justified, and they got, and I'm fine, you can have an opinion on either side, and that's fine. We're all entitled to our opinion. It's when we get angry and we, we, we start yelling at the other side and not listening to the other side, that that's where we start to experience the tension that we have. So it's fine that you have the opinion. But if you came out in the opinion of, man, it was justified, and when everything's found out, it, the police officer can be cleared, that's fine. But when we start to get mad and our response is to yell at the other side, here's my question. If either of the families, if Elton Sterling's family was here this morning worshiping with us, or Philando Castile's family was here worshiping with us this morning, if their moms and dads were sitting here, if Philando's daughter, four-year-old daughter, was sitting here, would our response be, would it be to say something like, well, that was tough, but he got what was his? Or would our response be a compassionate response? have a feeling for most of us, if their family was here right now, our response would be a very, very compassionate response because they've lost someone they care about. In the book of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking. And he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Man, if the family was here with us, I believe fully as a church we would mourn with them. We would not sit here in judgment and talk about what they did or what they didn't do or what they could have done in that situation. We would simply put our arms around them, give them a giant hug and say, I can't imagine how you're feeling at the loss of your son, at the loss of your boyfriend, at the loss of your father. I can't imagine as a young daughter how that would feel. It would change our response entirely. And yet for a lot of people, we feel like because we're 500 miles away, that our response over social media can be different. And we don't reflect the attitude and the actions of Jesus that says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Similarly, over in the book of Romans, it says that our response as believers should be to weep with those who weep. So for those who are on one side who said, our response is justified, this was, maybe all of that stuff is true. But we're so busy winning an argument that we fail to see that we're not giving a compassionate response. I had other people on the other side of, of the argument, the other side of this battle that's raging. And their response was to get really angry. And they feel justifyingly so. They felt like, man, I'm, I'm justified in the anger that I have. Whether that's true, that's for God to sort out. But we start to lash out at others. And, and here's what I saw over and over was their anger and their vitriol and their hatred of, of police officers in general, white officers in particular. They got really mad, and, that, and that's what led to some of the stuff that we saw. Not just the, the shooting that took place, which was an isolated person who, who is really, really messed up, but also the celebration that some of us saw by people who were celebrating that. Listen, you're entitled to your opinion again. But when we find the other person to be the enemy, and the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities and powers, that we're not supposed to fight each other, we're not supposed to be against each other. But our response was just that on both sides of this topic. If those that are on the other side of this debate, I heard a report Friday as I was driving of a young man who was there in Dallas protesting. 
And he said, man, just moments earlier, moments before the shooting took place, I was an aggressive agitator going against these police officers. Like, I was the one who was aggressive in agitating these police officers. And he said, even though I was the one who agitated them, and they were there to protect these people who were protesting them, he said, even though I was agitating them, the moment the bullets started flying, one of those officers came, and he pushed me down, and he saved my life. And at the moment that I ran away from the bullets, that officer ran toward the bullets. We have to start to listen to each other. We have to realize that even though we think our opinion is grounded in truth, and it might be, there might be some truth to it, but there's a good chance that we're not 100% accurate in our opinion. And we have to be willing to listen to the other person. See, I've heard over and over people that are on defensive say, I believe that 99% of our police officers are good cops. They're there are some bad cops, and we know that, but 99% of our officers are good cops. And, and I think that number is not accurate because I've had a chance to know a lot of police officers in my life. I've had youth leaders or police officers. I've had students who grew up in our youth group that are police officers. One of my relatives is in town with us. He'll be in the second service this morning. He's a police officer. I've known a lot of, a lot of officers in a lot of different areas. And I've never known one that I'd say, hey, he's, he's a bad guy. Every officer I've ever known goes to work every day hoping he doesn't have to discharge his weapon. At times it happens. At times maybe even there are mistakes. I don't even think that sometimes those mistakes that have to be corrected, I think we can understand that. That doesn't mean that person was a bad person or that he was a bad cop. It might mean he made a really bad decision. We have to stop with anger, with the vitriol, with the hatred of each other. We have to realize that our position might or might not be accurate, but it probably is not 100% accurate. Again, Romans 12 teaches us to mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those who weep. The second thing is this. We have to realize that peace and racial reconciliation has to begin right here with us. I can't look at the other person and hope there's reconciliation on their part. It might or might not happen, but for us right now, God is holding us accountable for our response. And our response has to be to say, man, I want, if, if peace and racial reconciliation can take place, it begins with me. If we turn down just a little bit in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, we skip down to verse 9. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the ones who come and say, if I can be a part of making peace in this situation, then happy are the people that do that, for they shall be called the very sons of God. One of my favorite stories in all of the Bible is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And there's so many reasons why I love that story. But to give us a little bit of context of what's taking place here, is that Jesus is with the disciples, and they go to acquire some food, and he sits down at this well. And it's in the middle of the day, and it's a moment of the day where nobody else wants to come and draw water from the well. How many of y'all know in Florida this week it's been really, really hot? Good night. I don't ever remember it being this hot. Like, you walk outside for like two minutes and you're soaked. And that's like 5 a.m., let alone middle of the day. Like, at noon, it is a race to see how fast we can get from the car to the house. Like, go from A.C. to A.C. Nobody wants to be outside in the middle of the day. Well, this lady comes in the middle of the day to, to draw water from the well because she knows she has a very bad reputation. So she wants to come when even her own country people aren't there. 
When the Samaritans aren't there, she's a Samaritan woman. She comes and nobody else is there because she doesn't want the embarrassment of seeing other people and them sitting in condemnation of her. But she comes to the well and there's Jesus. And Jesus is not Samaritan. Jesus is Jewish. And if you know anything about the culture of that day, the Jewish people thought themselves really as, as higher than the other people they consider Gentiles. A Gentile is anybody who's not Jewish. And so Jews were not supposed to have any sort of communication with people who were Gentiles. And the only thing worse than a Gentile was a person who was a Samaritan. And a Samaritan was basically a person who was half Jewish and half Gentile. And the Jewish people viewed them as, as kind of half-breeds. And so if, if, if you, the only thing worse than, than, a, than a Gentile was a person who was a Samaritan. And the only thing worse in their culture than a Samaritan was a Samaritan woman. And so really according to the cultural uh, dictates of his day, Jesus should have had no part of having any conversation with this woman. Like, there's nothing about it. There, there's racial tension that was taking place. There was cultural tension that was taking place. And she had a really bad reputation. Even some of her own people didn't want to be around her. And so she comes to draw water from the well, and she's astonished that Jesus would even talk to her. But not only does Jesus talk to her, but Jesus chooses to use her to begin to reveal himself to her people as to who he was. He reveals himself. If you read that whole story in the book of John, if you read that whole story, he reveals himself to her and says, this is who I am. Now go and tell your people. And the Bible says later on in that story that a lot of her people came to recognize who Jesus was because of her testimony. And Jesus came into a volatile situation. A situation where there was racial tension, where there's a lot of stuff that was taking place. And he went against all the societal norms saying, I want to try to fix this thing. If it's up to me, I'm going to be able to fix this. Now, you and I look at it, and we know that this problem is probably bigger than us. We could sit there together as a church and say, hey, we want to do our best job. And I think we can make a difference. But we look at the bigger conversation happening in our country, and we say, okay, what could we do the small pocket community in Winter Haven, Florida, like, what are we going to do? And the situation looks bigger than us, and Jesus is Jesus, and it's not too big for him. But we say, if we can have any part to play in all of this, we want to emulate the response that Jesus had in his life. One of the things that, as, as I was driving home on Friday, one of the things I was really wrestling with, is just seeing our children grow up in this situation. And, and for me, I, I have four kids, and, and three of them are a little bit older, and, and Zach is, is, is two. And, and I think about, like, like how hard is it going to be for him to grow up in, in this culture where this, there's this racial tension that's taking place. And for those who aren't aware, my son is adopted, and he's actually biracial. He's part white and part black. And so what, what's that going to mean for him growing up? At two years old, he's so innocent and so pure, and... Is he going to deal with some of this stuff 10 years from now, 15 years from now? Is it going to get worse? I was wrestling with that, and my heart was breaking. Like I was in tears thinking, what is it going to be like if this isn't fixed in our country now? How bad is it going to be? And I found myself yearning for I said, man, I wish my kids could have grown up when I grew up. I wish my kids could have grown up 30 years ago. Like back then, we played out on the street and, and we had a family and friends in our neighborhood and the kids all played together. And because of all the stuff that happens today, I don't see that happening a whole lot. 
And so my, my first response was to say, God, I wish my kids could have grown up when it seemed like life was so much easier than it is right now today. But then God started to break my heart about something. I said, and, and it was like God clearly communicated this to me. He said, well, JJ, it was easy for you. But was it easy for everybody 30 years ago? I thought back when I was 13, 14 years old, so 25 years ago. I had a friend of mine, his name was Robert Lee Davis. Played baseball together for a couple of years. He was a really good baseball player. And we become really good friends in the baseball field. And he's a young black guy, 13 years old. And, and one night, his family had an awesome family. And they invited me to come over to their house and stay the night. He and uh, myself and one of my friends came to stay the night at his house. And so we went down to the south side of St. Pete to hang out and play basketball with some of his friends. And, and we went down, we went out on a Friday afternoon. And we hung out, we played ba- basketball with all of his friends. But his family told us, his parents told us before we left. They said, you guys can go play basketball, but make sure you're in before dark. And it's not like where I grew up where mom and dad said, hey, you should be in before dark. They said, no, like, no questions asked. You're at the house before dark, darkness sets. I thought, okay. And I went out and played basketball. And everybody was cool. Everything was great. We showed up at the house. They said, okay, from now on, you guys are in for the rest of the night. You guys can go in the backyard. We have a pool, hang out. But you can't leave the house at all. Okay, that's fine. No problem. Mr. And Mrs. Davis, I got it. We went out. We're playing back in the, in the pool in the backyard. And, and right down the road, they lived off the main road in, in St. Pete. And right down the road, there was a bar that was open. It was a Friday night. And there's a bar that was open, and we could hear people yelling and screaming and having a good time. And I was like, what is that? Like, the people are really loud. He's like, oh, that's the bar down the road. And before I knew it, we're sitting there, we're kind of hanging out in this pool, throwing a ball back and forth and having a good time. And, and then shots ring out, like, like shots, just bullets fly, whatever. And we kind of heard it, and it was probably a block or two away. But as soon as we heard it, my friend Brett and I look at each other like, we should probably get out of here. Like, shouldn't we go inside the house or something? And like, the two of us, we're not panicked, but we're getting there. I kind of look at Brad, and Brad's like, we need to go inside. And I look over at my friend Robert, and Robert's, and Robert's like, this is just an average Friday night on Queensboro Avenue. Like, this is what happens all the time. Life was easier for me 30 years ago than it is today. But I'm not sure it was like that for everybody. So part of our healing is there has to be a conversation that takes place. We have to look at this and say, what, what can we do as a response to our situation? How would Jesus respond to this? So, number one, if you take notes, number one, realize that our, we have, we've taken a position. Our position might not be 100% accurate. Number two, determine that peace and racial reconciliation begins with me. Again, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And number three, firmly hold to the idea that every life is sacred. Murder, hatred, and anger are never okay. It's never okay. It's not okay. The stuff that's taking place right now, it's not okay. We've been reading from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. I tend to use the the ESV, the English Standard Version, but I want to read real quickly A little bit later on in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 21, I want to read this passage out of the message. And listen to what it says. You're familiar with the command to the ancients. Do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister 
is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. Then he says this, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff eye. In our race to be right, we can win the argument and lose the relationship. And I think that's what we've had as a country, is we've had a rush to everyone say, I want to make sure that I'm right, and I want to make sure that all of my information is put out there, and that everybody knows that I'm right. Do you guys remember the kid in elementary school who was always right? And he always wanted to make sure that everybody knew that he was right. Yeah, nobody liked that kid. Like he was cocky and he was arrogant and and he came across and said, I want to make sure that I'm right and that everybody in the class knows that I'm right. And even if they were right, nobody cared anymore because they didn't particularly care for the person. My fear is that we as a country have become a nation of kids just like that. Whether we're right or not, we want to make sure in our mind that we are right and that everybody knows that we are right And if anybody disagrees with me, you're wrong and you're the enemy. And that is simply not okay. Listen, I'm all about trying our best to be right. Jesus gave us his word to follow that we can be as right as we can be. But I'm just as passionate about that we need to be people of compassion. Because if we're right and we're not compassionate then no one's going to care that we're right. We can win the argument and we can lose the relationship. And that simply is not okay. So I want to give us an action plan leaving here. What can we do? Because I think these three things are true. We need to be careful and guard ourselves from those ideas and trying to be right and not having compassion. I think that's a danger that we deal with in our society today. And everyone's so busy trumpeting their ideas and yelling as loud as they can that we stop talking to other people. So three things that I want to challenge you to do this week. Number one, find someone that doesn't look like you. Maybe that doesn't talk like you or even think like you. And have an honest conversation with them. Spend more time listening to them than you do talking. See, sometimes we'll get into discussion and we'll have to have an answer. Like someone comes and says, well, well but this happened and we feel like I, I got to inject my idea in this conversation. Slow down. Spend some time listening. Ask them, what was life like for you growing up? You see, as much as I deal with presuppositions in my own life, 
I realized, I remember as a young person, the first time I got pulled over by a police officer. I was scared. I was scared that mom and dad were going to find out. I was scared I was going to get a ticket. But I never feared for my life. There are some people that, right or not, that's their approach. That's how they feel all the time. So ask them, what was that like? How does that make you feel now? So number one, find someone that doesn't look, think, or talk like you and ask them questions. Number two, Scripture just talked about that if there's a grudge, go and deal with it. So number two, if you have a grudge against someone that you've been holding on to, make the first move this week. There in Matthew 5, verse 25, it says this. Don't lose a minute. Don't waste any time. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. That's on us. So if there's a problem, you make the first move. It said don't wait for them because their track record isn't good anyway. You go and make the first move. And number three, and this might be most significant, pray for our country. When I say pray for our country, I don't mean a generic prayer as we're getting ready for lunch today and Okay, I prayed, God, bring peace to our country, and that's it. But I say, but I say right now, pray passionately. Pray consistently. Pray for lengths of time, specifically for things that our country is dealing with. And name them by name. So as we close out, the second thing I'm asking you to do is to have a pointed prayer time right now. And do that. Again, I'm going to give you a minute to pray, and then I'll close out. Let's pray. God, I've been on this planet for 40 years, living in this great country for 40 years, and I've never seen a country like this before. Maybe it's not that these things weren't there, maybe I just was hidden away from some of these tensions that we deal with. But God, right now, my heart breaks for our country. My heart grieves for people who are hurting, who feel lost and feel alone. And I believe fully that the only real hope that our country has, we can change attitudes, we can change behaviors, but the only change of heart happens through Jesus. And so God, I pray first and foremost for our country that Jesus would be more known in our hearts and our lives and our actions than he's ever been known before, God. I pray for true, genuine revival to take place and for God, for you to renew the hearts of people that have been cold and turned away from you. God, I pray for those that are hurting right now. God, in particular, I pray for the family of Brent Thompson, the officer that was part of the DART team that served and gave his life so faithfully. I pray for the family of a young father, Patrick Zamaripa. God, I pray for his family. I pray for Michael Kroll. I pray for Lauren Aarons and his family, God. I pray for their families to be restored and to, to find hope in the midst of their grief. God, I pray for the family of Michael Smith. 
God, give them a sense of peace that passes all understanding. God, I pray for the family right now of Alton Sterling. As they grieve, God, I pray that they can grieve. Maybe a hope that he is, is, is now with you. I don't know a spiritual condition, but God, I pray that you give them some sort of hope. God, I pray for the family of Philando Castile as well. Pray for a daughter who, who witnessed the events and, and God, whose life will never be the same because of that. God, I pray that even through this calamity, God, that you can bring some sort of semblance of order to her life. God, your admonition in Scripture is for us to, to mourn with those who mourn, to grieve with those who grieve. In the high moments, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. God, we long for days that that can be possible. But right now, our hearts are broken because of these and even other officers who've been shot this weekend. For others who've been killed. Even in our own city, we've seen devastation this week. God, I pray that you bring comfort to the families that are hurting. And God, I pray that we as your people learn how we can respond in a way that's going to be more effective and ultimately in a way that's going to point people to Jesus for he is our hope. It's in his name we pray. Amen.